From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday, June 13th, 2023. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. On today's program, China and Honduras have issued a joint statement after talks in Beijing between the presidents of the two countries. Former U.S. President Donald Trump's in Miami ahead of a court hearing on federal charges against him. And thousands of fishermen in South Korea have protested Japan's plan to release nuclear wastewater into the Pacific. In business, business officials are finalizing a series of trade deals between China and Argentina. In sports, the NBA has a new first-time champion. In culture and entertainment, the Shanghai International Film Festival's star-studded opening ceremony. Now the day's top stories. China and Honduras have issued a joint statement after President Xi Jinping held talks with his Honduran counterpart Xiomara Castro in Beijing. The two heads of state witnessed the signing of 17 bilateral cooperation documents. The two sides have also signed a memorandum of understanding on jointly promoting the Belt and Road Initiative. Castro is on a six-day visit, uh, state visit to China. Uh, she also spent two days in Shanghai. Wang Haiyang has more. According to a joint statement, China and Honduras agree that the One China Principle is globally recognized and forms the basis for China-Honduras relations. Honduras endorses UN Resolution 2758 acknowledging the People's Republic of China as the only legitimate government representing all of China, including Taiwan. Honduras resolutely supports the One China Principle, opposes the so-called Taiwan independence and supports China's efforts towards national unification. The Honduran president says her country is ready to join China's Belt and Road Initiative, marking a new chapter in bilateral relations. The two presidents have agreed to enhance policy coordination and development planning and deepen cooperation across various sectors. 
They are also committed to promoting openness, greenness, and integrity, aiming for high standard, sustainable, and beneficial outcomes for their citizens. In the initial phase of bilateral relations, a free trade agreement is on the table. China is encouraging its businesses to invest in various sectors of Honduras, including its economy, energy, environment, infrastructure, and telecommunications. In return, Honduras is welcoming Chinese investments and promises policy support and facilitation. Additionally, China aims to extend opportunities in health and education sectors to Honduras. Both nations have pledged to bolster exchanges and cooperation across an array of fields, such as finance, agriculture, education, healthcare, culture, tourism, technology, and media. Honduras aligns with China's proposed universal values and supports its global initiatives aimed at sustainable development, civilization, and security. Both countries value the importance of the China-Latin America Forum in their bilateral relations. They agree to collaborate on these global initiatives and a successful execution of the Forum's 2024 summit, working towards the long-term advancement of China-Latin America relations based on the principles of equality, mutual benefit, innovation, openness. And public welfare. That was Wang Haiyang on the joint statement issued by China and Honduras. Farmers and producers in Honduras are excited about the trade opportunities with China. Alistair Baverstock reports. Well, there's a great deal of anticipation here following this very high-level meeting between President Xi Jinping and Xiomara Castro, the president of Honduras, and particularly because Honduras wants to see what is going to happen now as a result of this new cross-Pacific relationship. We have seen that Honduras is one of the poorest countries in Latin America, and for this country, the chance now for trade in order to pull itself. Up by its bootstrings is going to be absolutely key as it seeks footholds in the enormous potential that China's market now offers as an export destination for its agricultural products. Honduras is a country which has focused a lot on quality rather than quantity, and particularly over the course of our time here, we've spoken to people producing coffee, producing bananas, producing cacao, producing shrimp, all of whom are saying that. That the new cross-Pacific trade opportunities are going to present really important uh, uh, opportunities now for the most marginalised communities across this very diverse but ultimately very impoverished and marginalised country. That was、uh, Alistair Baverstock on expectations in Honduras on the country's trade cooperation with China. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas has arrived in Beijing for a four-day state visit. That visit comes as the two countries mark 35 years of diplomatic relations. Fang Ilai has more. Palestinian president's visit comes as a further testament to the strong bilateral relationship. In the next few days, the discussions between both sides will likely revolve around ways to deepen the friendly relations between China and Palestine. An expert told me that there is likely to be talks on potential people-to-people -people exchange projects after Chinese and Palestinian governments signed a memorandum of understanding on Belt and Road cooperation last year. And notably, both sides are also expected to explore ways for advancing the peace process between. 
Palestine and Israel as we await their upcoming meetings. It is important to note that China has been a long-standing supporter of the Palestinian cause and President Abbas's visit to China follows President Xi's visit to Saudi Arabia last year where he met with Abbas and pledged to work towards an early just and durable solution to the Palestinian issue. And China has also expressed its willingness to aid in the negotiation process with Foreign Minister Qing Gan in April, telling his Israeli and uh, Palestinian counterparts that Beijing was ready to help. And China was among the first countries to recognize the Palestine Liberation Organization and the State of Palestine. China has also consistently supported the Palestinian people's just cause of restoring their legitimate national rights. And as a permanent member of the United Nations Security Security Council, China remains committed to working with the international community to find a comprehensive and just solution to the Palestinian issue. China's commitment to promoting peace and stability demonstrates that this visit holds significant importance for not just both countries, but also the region. That was Feng Yilei in Beijing. Well, China's ties with Palestine have increased uh, mutual political trust over the past decades. Noor Harazin spoke with the officials of the Palestine Liberation Organization and the Palestinian NGO network. The PLO says the visit by Abbas reflects the depth of relations with Beijing. Last December, President Xi Jinping acknowledged the injustices suffered by Palestinians and affirmed China's support for an independent Palestinian state. The People's Republic of China has always stood by the oppressed people, and the Palestinian cause is a central issue in the Middle East and the world. This made China support the Palestinian cause in international forums. China has an important role in supporting the Palestinian cause, not only politically and economically, but also humanitarianly. It was one of the first countries to send medical aid during the COVID-19 pandemic. China donated 600,000 doses of vaccine to Palestine, sent teams of medical experts, and distributed health parcels, protective supplies, and cash aid to Palestinian refugees through the UN. Throughout history, China has always provided various assistance to ease the suffering of the Palestinian people, especially in the period of the COVID-19 pandemic, which had an important role in limiting the spread of the disease and helping the Palestinians. China has pledged to work for what it calls an early, just and durable solution to the Palestinian issue. Beijing has positioned itself as a mediator in the Middle East. Just this past March, it held a broker an agreement to restore relations between Iran and Saudi Arabia. This week's state visit by Abbas is another step by China to help the Palestinian people. That was Noor Harazin on China-Palestine relations. Coming up, former President Donald Trump's in Miami to face federal charges. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. It's 10 minutes past the hour. Former U.S. President Donald Trump's arrived in Miami to face federal criminal charges. He's accused of unlawfully keeping U.S. national security documents and lying to officials who tried to recover them. Philip Crowther has more outside the federal courthouse in Miami. 
Well, first of all, and most importantly, the uh, former president is expected to plead not guilty. That's not a surprise, of course, uh, ever since this indictment was unsealed and ever since Donald Trump himself announced it. In fact, he has said that he is innocent. He's been talking about this being part of political persecution of him, that this is election interference, says the former president as well. The reason, of course, being is that he's the front runner to get the Republican nomination uh, in the presidential race on the Republican ticket again uh, for the year 2024. He also says that this is part of what he calls a wider witch hunt against him. But what is there to expect this Tuesday from the president in terms of what he's going to do here? Well, he will be appearing in front of a judge here in this federal courthouse at 3 p.m. local time. The charges, we presume, will all be read to him, and that's when he will get the chance to plead not guilty. Don't expect, though, to see any photos or any video of him inside of the courtroom. They have been banned. A sketch artist will be there. That's probably all you're going to see. Former president himself has called on his supporters to come right here to protest in this case and to protest his innocence. That's why there's a little bit of tension here in the air as well. Uh, when a lot of Trump supporters come together, and there might also be counter-protesters, those who might celebrate the fact that he's been indicted, well then there is that tension and a fear of possible confrontations. The last time he was indicted, because he was in April already on state charges in New York City that had to do with those hush money payments to a, a former porn actress in the year 2016. Uh, and in that, at that moment, his poll numbers actually went up. Fundraising went up as well. So the former President Donald Trump is going to stay in this race. There is no doubt about it. Some of his biggest opponents, the likes of the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, for example, have been defending him ever since this indictment was unsealed. Now, the only disadvantage that you might see from the Trump campaign's point of view is that the logistics of defending himself in court and running for president at the same time that was Philip Crowther on the federal criminal charges against Donald Trump. Russia and Ukraine both say their forces have inflicted heavy personnel and equipment losses on the other. Russia's defense ministry says it's repelled attempted uh, offensives by Ukrainian forces in the Donetsk and Zaporizhia regions and hit targets with sea-launched high-precision missiles. Ukraine says it's retaken seven villages in eastern and southern Ukraine since the weekend. The country says its forces engaged in heavy battles along frontline hotspots, including Bakhmut and Marienka. Uh, they say they have also launched an airstrike against Russian forces. NATO's begun its largest ever air force deployment exercise in Europe. The German-led Air Defender 2023 brings together 25 nations running until June 23rd. Around 300 people protested in northern Germany, saying that the exercise underscores the rejection of negotiations with Russia and further escalates an already threatening situation. Trent Murray has more. 250 combat aircraft are taking part from 25 different nations and more than 10,000 military personnel. It is an enormously uh, large uh, logistical operation for both the German military who are leading all of this but also many other allied nations who have come to take part. We know um, from what we've been told from military briefings uh, is that there's a number of key areas that they are wanting to do drills on including uh, air defense and protecting ground troops, uh, missile interception, uh, we know there's also anti-submarine warfare taking place as well as crucially uh, airfield evacuation 
prevention measures, uh, a lot of training uh, to be done. Uh, as I say, a huge logistics operation. Uh, uh, the lion's share of the aircraft are coming from the United States. Of the 250 taking part, 100 have been deployed uh, from the US. It was first conceived back in 2018, this initiative. So it's been in the works for some time. But of course, Europe looked very different back in 2018. So what was then scenario planning is starting to feel, I think, a little bit more real for many of those military planners, especially those from places like Poland and the Baltics, given what has happened in Ukraine. Now, we know that the central theme and, and the message that's trying to be sent here is one of deterrence, but also one uh, of showing what a, a response to Article 5 would look at. Now, Article 5, as you might recall, is that quite crucial piece of NATO doctrine which says an attack on one is an attack on all. Military planners have been saying these drills are about showing what would happen in the unthinkable event that NATO was attacked, how all those European countries would work very rapidly and quickly together in response to that. That was Trent Marie on NATO's Air Force drill. Fighting in Sudan's intensified for a second day after a ceasefire ended on Sunday. The Darfur Bar Association, which monitors the conflict in the region, says 17 people died from shelling on Monday and 100 were killed over the past five days. The conflict between Sudan's army and the paramilitary RSF has raged for almost two months now, forcing almost two million to flee. Talks brokered by Saudi Arabia and the United States have failed to permanently end the fighting. The humanitarian crisis is worse with frequent electricity and water outages. Media reports say the new Iranian ambassador to the United Arab Emirates has taken up his post in Abu Dhabi. Iran appointed Reza Ameri in early April, months after the UAE reinstated its ambassador in Tehran. Iran and the UAE have taken steps toward improving relations, which were downgraded in 2016, after Saudi Arabia cut diplomatic ties with Iran. Police say three people are dead in the English city of Nottingham, and three others were hit by a van in linked incidents. The three hit by the van were injured, and police have arrested a man on suspicion of murder. The update came after police said emergency services were responding to an ongoing serious incident in the central English city. Uh, the city's tram network says it's suspended all services. Preparations are underway in Pakistan for a storm building off its southern coast. Weather authorities say the storm has strengthened to become a powerful cyclone and can make landfall this week. Cyclone Biparjoy is expected to make landfall Thursday. Local fishermen say authorities have stopped issuing fishing permits and recalled boats already at sea. A spokesperson from the Pakistan Fisherfolk Forum says degraded mangrove forests near beaches in Karachi increase the impacts of a cyclone. Kamal Shah warns that Pakistan's largest city could suffer substantial damage in a short space of time. The reason for this is that we have cut down all the mangroves. We have not saved any of them. If the mangrove forests had still been here today, we could have been safe. But they have been totally cut down. And now no one can save Karachi. You can only see the top layer of mangroves, but underneath it's all hollowed out. Only the mangroves could save Karachi. Now, I will repeat that if a real powerful cyclone hits, Karachi will be wiped out within five minutes. And the cyclone will also affect India's west coast. A dozen districts in Gujarat are expecting heavy rainfall and strong winds.
You're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up, fishermen in South Korea protest Japan's plan to dump nuclear wastewater into the Pacific. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, and more. We'll see you there. 19 minutes past the hour. More than 3,000 South Korean fishermen have converged in front of the National Assembly in Seoul, a move that shows a collective protest against Japan's planned discharge of radioactive water. Japan began testing the water discharging facilities on Monday. Sumin Yu has more from Seoul. Several thousand fishermen across the country suspended their daily operations to participate in the collective action against Japan's planned discharge. This joint rally in front of the National Assembly came on the heels of Tokyo's test run of its water discharge facility. South Korean fishermen and environmental activists called on the Japanese government to store contaminated water underground for an extended period of time or to harden it as concrete. Some expressed great discontent over the plan. They said there's nothing wrong with it and you could drink it. But why throw it away in the sea when it could be used for agricultural or industrial water? If the water is clean and nice, as they claim, you can use it as industrial water. I want to hear some clear answers about the reason they are planning to dump the water. Placards read that they strongly opposed to the planned discharge of its radioactive water, while some blasted the South Korean government's lax response. Some even emphasized the need to consider taking this issue to the International Tribunal for the Law of the Sea if the Japanese government does not cooperate. Japanese fishermen will hold a rally in Fukushima on June 20th. We should go together. Only when the fishermen come forward will the government do its best to prevent the discharge. The next and the third collective action is expected to take place in front of the Seoul City Hall in less than two weeks as the planned release looms large over the future of their livelihoods. That was Suman Yu in Seoul. Uh, media disclosed more details of the survival of four indigenous children who were missing for 40 days in Colombia's southern jungle after a plane crash. Reports say the eldest of the four children pulled her youngest sibling from the wreckage. The children, aged 1 through 13, were rescued last week after surviving the crash that killed their mother, a relative, and the pilot on May 1st. Speaking from the hospital, grandfather Narciso Makutui says 13-year-old Leslie saved her one year old sister and cared for her and uh, the other her siblings after the crash. When she looked and saw that her mother was dead, she saw the feet of her little sister where the three dead bodies were and she pulled her out. 
She immediately saw her other two siblings were hurt, and she opened her mother's bag and took out clothes, ripped them and wrapped them with the material. Amukatui says the children spent four days near the wreckage, eating cassava flour that had been on board before wandering from the site. And he adds that the children used large leaves and branches for shelter from the rain, and also spent time with a military rescue dog that had been sent to look for them. Authorities have hailed the 13-year-old girl's courage as having been key to the children's survival in the Amazon jungle after the crash. Rescue and recovery operations are underway in Cuba after torrential rains, landslides and floods left thousands of people homeless at the beginning of the rainy season. The devastation stretches hundreds of kilometers from central Cuba to the southeast and has killed three people. Reports say while the rains have replenished depleted reservoirs, the deluge has submerged farms and made clean drinking water scarce. Mexico City Mayor Claudia Scheinbaum says she'll step down on Friday to pursue the ruling party's candidacy for the 2024 presidential election. The 60-year-old politician seeking to make history by becoming the country's first female president in the June 2024 election. Announcing her decision, Scheinbaum vowed to continue the transformation started by President Andre Manuel López Obrador if she's elected. Gracias al pueblo de la Ciudad de México. I thank the people of Mexico for allowing me to work for them. I thank these people who are as supportive and reciprocal as few others. Now we will meet with the people of Mexico with the conviction that the fourth transformation will have continuity and that it's time for women. Scheinbaum and Marcelo Ebrard, who stepped down as foreign minister, are the main favorites in the race to win the ruling party's nomination. The ruling leftist National Regeneration Movement will announce the winner of its internal selection process on September the 6th. President López Obrador cannot seek re-election because Mexican presidents are restricted by law to a single six-year term. Companies from various industries have gathered at the first Shanghai International Carbon Neutrality Expo to showcase their technologies, products, and achievements. Uh, Jan Kleisner is a vice president of sustainability and procurement at Budweiser. He elaborated on how two breweries in China have achieved carbon neutrality. If you look at uh, Wuhan, it's about uh, renewable electricity, for sure. It's about uh, biomass. Yes, it's about electric trucks. Uh, a central control room because this central control room helps us to monitor and reduce the total consumption. So if you then look at Jinjo, yes, it's about RE100 through a PPA in Jinjo. So it's all wind. Uh, we've got our solar panels there. Jinjo is a brewery where we don't need to buy CO2. It's self-sufficient. We're able to balance the production and the need of uh, of CO2 in that brewery very well. Kleisner added that they have a roadmap to make all of their breweries in China carbon neutral by 2028. New construction materials such as bamboo wrap tubes are also on display, bringing new solutions to the construction industry. Uh, Wang Wenlin is the deputy general manager of China Forestry Group Corporation. We hope to make good use of those 110 million tons of bamboo resources wasted every year to utilize the idle assets and resources and better serve the industrial chain. During this process, we can fund bamboo farmers with more than 300 billion yuan every year. We have selected a few cities to run our pilot programs 
and will step up our promotion after we set up the business mode. Well, the expos attracted nearly 600 global enterprises. Uh, the event spotlights fields such as energy transition, recycling, and low-carbon transportation. 26 minutes past the hour. U.S. asylum appointments at a dangerous Texas-Mexico border crossing can no longer be scheduled via an online app following reports that migrants face extortion in Mexico. A U.S. consular official informed advocates for migrants in the city of Nuevo Laredo of the suspension. A website for the app called CBP1 no longer lists Laredo as a city where asylum seekers can schedule appointments. Nuevo Laredo has long been notorious for widespread kidnappings and extortion of migrants. The appointments are a key part of a border system that was put in place by U.S. President Joe Biden last month when COVID-era restrictions known as Title 42 expired. Police say a body's been recovered from the site of the highway collapse that was caused by a tanker truck in Philadelphia. A tanker carrying gasoline caught fire on Sunday, causing concrete to buckle and a section of the highway to fall. Excavation teams were clearing rubble on Monday when they found the body and turned it over to the authorities for identification. Media reports say the truck driver had been unaccounted for in the immediate aftermath of the incident. Meantime, the tanker truck that caused the collapse of the four elevated northbound lanes has been hauled off from the scene. The section of the highway was shut down in both directions after the incident, and authorities have not said what exactly caused the fuel to ignite. One person's died after a boat carrying 28 tourists capsized in an underground cave in upstate New York. Authorities say the boat flipped over at Lockport Cave, throwing all passengers and a guide into the water. A 60-year-old man was trapped underneath the capsized boat and died, while 16 people were rescued by emergency services. Lockport fire officials say nearly a dozen people were transported to local hospitals with minor injuries. At 28 past the hour, Beijing's at 20 degrees overnight, sunny and 35 on Wednesday. Chongqing's down to 23 degrees, then cloudy skies and a high of 30. Last is at 11 overnight, uh, showers and 23 tomorrow. Hong Kong has 28 degrees this evening, thunder showers and 31 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 20 overnight, tomorrow a light rain and 24. Islamabad's 21 this evening, then uh, cloudy turning to a light rain and 39. Bangkok's at 26 tonight, then a light rain and 38 three degrees for Wednesday. In Africa, Nairobi has a light rain in 26. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 10 this evening, then uh, sunny skies in 17. Auckland's down to five, then uh, tomorrow sunny, turning to light rain in 14. Port Vila has light rain, becoming moderate later on with 26 degrees Celsius. It's time for a short break. So far this hour, China and Honduras have issued a joint statement after talks in Beijing between the presidents of the two countries. Former U.S. President Donald Trump's in Miami ahead of a court hearing on federal charges against him. And thousands of fishermen in South Korea pro uh, protested Japan's plan to release nuclear waste water into the Pacific. Shane Bigham with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. You're listening to the Beijing Hour. 60 minutes of comprehensive news, your window on China and the world. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you every weekday. Now here's your host. Shane Begum with you on this Tuesday. Still to come. 
In business, officials are finalizing a series of trade deals between China and Argentina. In sports, the NBA has a new first-time champion. In culture and entertainment, the Shanghai International Film Festival's star-studded opening ceremony. To contact us, you can email beijinghour at cri.com.cn. And now with the day's headlines, here's Tianyu. Thank you, Shane. China and Honduras have issued a joint statement after President Xi Jinping held talks with his Honduran counterpart Xiomara Castro in Beijing. The two heads of state also witnessed the signing of 17 bilateral cooperation documents. The Honduran side says it firmly adheres to the One China principle and opposes Taiwan separatist activities in any form. Both nations agreed that establishment of diplomatic relations opened a new chapter in the history of bilateral relations. The two sides have also signed a memorandum of understanding on jointly promoting the Belt and Road Initiative. Castro is on a six-day state visit in China two months after the two countries established diplomatic relations. Palestinian President Mohammed Abbas has arrived in Beijing for a four-day state visit to China. It comes at the invitation of Chinese President Xi Jinping. The two countries are marking 35 years of diplomatic relations. Former U.S. President Donald Trump has arrived in Miami to face federal criminal charges. He's accused of unlawfully keeping U.S. national security documents and lying to officials who tried to recover them. Russia and Ukraine both say their forces have inflicted heavy personnel and equipment losses on the other. Russia's defense ministry says says it has repelled attempted offensives by Ukrainian forces in the Donetsk and Zaporizhia regions and hit dark. Hit targets with sea-launched high-precision missiles. Ukraine says it has ta- retaken seven villages in eastern and southern Ukraine since the weekend. The country says its forces engaged in heavy battles along frontline hotspots, including Bakhmut and Mariinka. They say they also launched an airstrike against Russian forces. Fighting in Sudan have intensified for a second day after a ceasefire ended on Sunday. The Darfur Bar Association, which monitors the conflict in the region, says 17 people died from shelling on Monday, and 100 were killed over the past five days. The conflict between Sudan's army and paramilitary RSF has raged for almost two months, forcing almost two million to flee. Talks brokered by Saudi Arabia and the United States has failed to permanently end the fighting. The humanitarian crisis is worsening with frequent electricity and water outages. A helicopter mishap in northeastern Syria has left 22 U.S. service members injured. U.S. Central Command says the incident occurred on June the 11th, and no enemy fires was, was reported. The cause of the incident is under investigation. Preparations are underway in Pakistan for a storm building off its southern coast. Weather authorities say the storm has strengthened to become a powerful cyclone and and can make landfall this week. A spokesperson from the Pakistan Fisherfolk Forum says degraded mangrove forests near beaches in Karachi increase the impacts of a cyclone. Kamal Shah warns that Pakistan's largest city could suffer substantial damage in a short space of time. The reason for this is that we have cut down all the mangroves. We have not saved any of them. If the mangrove forests had still been here today, we could have been safe. But they have been totally cut down. 
and now no one can save Karachi. You can only see the top layer of mangroves, but underneath it's all hollowed out. Only the mangroves could save Karachi. Now, I will repeat that if a real powerful cyclone hits, Karachi will be wiped out within five minutes. The cyclone will also affect India's west coast. Police say three people are dead in the English city of Nottingham and three others were hit by a van in linked incidents. The three hit by the van were injured and police have arrested a man on suspicion of murder. The update came after police said emergency services were responding to an ongoing serious incident in the central English city. The city's tram network says it has suspended all services. Local authorities say they have sent over 10,000 early warnings to help ward off potential human-elephant conflicts in Xishuang Banna, Yunnan province. Launched in August 2020, the early warning system monitors wild Asian elephants near local villages surrounding the Xishuang Banna National Nature Reserve. The reserve is known for its well-preserved rainforest ecosystem. The Asian elephant, the continent's largest land animal, is under top-level protection in China. Thanks to environmental and wildlife protection efforts, the animal's population in the country has grown to over 300. Thank you very much. That was Tianyu reporting. This is Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital. Coming up in business, officials are finalizing a series of trade deals between China and Argentina. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour brings you an hour of comprehensive news and information from both China, China and the rest of the world. Rest of the world. A mix of news, sports and entertainment. In-depth analysis of the day's big stories, as well as the most comprehensive business of the day. The Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour. Your very own window to China and the rest of the world. 37 past the hour now. Turning to business and stock markets on the Chinese mainland finish higher today. Timothy Pope has more. The move by China's central bank to lower the seven-day reverse repurchase rate, which uh, is the rate at which other banks borrow from the PBOC, uh, gave the markets some lift today. Uh, The Shanghai Composite Index gained about uh, two-tenths of one percent, and the Shenzhen component added three-quarters of one percent. There was a moderate revival among financial stocks today. Uh, We saw that come after yesterday's lackluster performance from China's big lenders. Uh, Today, ICBC reversed its losses and gained six-tenths of one percent, as did Bank of Communications. But uh, the markets took today's repo rate cut as a sign that the central bank may be preparing to cut the broader MLF rate and the LPR, which is the rate that most uh, most individual borrowers get. Uh, Those rate reductions would uh, impact lenders' bottom lines and reducing their borrowing costs first could help uh, the central bank soften that blow a little bit. That was market analyst Timothy Pope in Shanghai. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index was up around six-tenths of a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei gained 1.8%. Business officials from China and Argentina have been busy finalizing a series of trade and investment agreements that were reached earlier this month. These developments reflect the growing economic ties between the two countries, which have been gaining momentum in recent years. Joel Richards reports. While Chinese football fans vie for a glimpse of Argentina's stars, this month brought significant developments in economic ties between the two countries after Economy Minister Sergio Massa's visit to China. The two countries agreed to extend a currency swap, with Argentina now able to access Chinese yuan valued at up to $10 billion. 
This means Argentine companies will be able to use Yuan to import Chinese goods. And now, after Massa's visit, Chinese companies investing in Argentina can also do so in Yuan instead of dollars. China is Argentina's second largest trade partner and renewing the currency swap agreement eases pressure on Argentina's foreign currency reserves. The agreements with China to bypass the dollar for trade come in the context of Argentina's economic fragility. Annual inflation is running at over 100% and a historic drought has hit foreign reserves amid tense debt negotiations with the IMF. It is not positive for a developing country to rely on one country or one currency, as it is with the United States and the dollar. China entering the fray generates more options for these countries, given the need for foreign currency for trade and investment. Argentina's delegation to China returned with an announcement of $3 billion worth of investment in infrastructure projects, after also holding talks over key sectors such as 5G. China aims to be an important player in that arena, as some in Argentina push for technological neutrality. Technological neutrality means that each operator can decide how they set up their own networks and who they're going to buy equipment from. It could be Ericsson, Nokia or Huawei, but there shouldn't be a definition from the government. Telecommunications companies should be allowed to choose who is the best for them to provide network equipment. New trade mechanisms and fresh investment from China offer Argentina's government brief respite in what is an electoral year. But now attention turns to critical debt talks with the IMF later this month. That was Joel Richards reporting. Nigerian President Bola Tinubu scrapped the country's costly fuel subsidy, and now small businesses in Nigeria are complaining that they are, they're unable to make ends meet. Uh, Tessam Akende reports. President Bola Tinubu announced the subsidy removal during his inauguration on May 29th, and many petrol stations adjusted their pump price immediately. A liter of petrol, which previously sold for less than half a dollar, is now sold for about a dollar. Motorists and citizens say it's really taking a toll on them. I am a motor mechanic. I repair cars. But many vehicles are not on the road anymore because of the petrol situation. It therefore means that I don't have cars to fix and my livelihood has been affected. I have two children and a wife. I don't know how to explain it to you, but it's hard on us. Everything is now expensive. It's not funny at all. Nigeria, though a crude producing nation, has for decades relied on importation of refined petroleum products, with the subsidy regime also being in place for years. According to Nigeria's parliament, over $7 billion was used for the costly but popular petrol subsidy from the beginning of 2023 alone. Corruption and the dysfunction of all the four refineries in the country is part of the reason for the situation. Nigeria has spent about $25 billion for turnaround maintenance of the refineries in 25 years, but none of them is refining petroleum products. The government says funds for subsidies will now be diverted to other things like public infrastructure, education, health care and jobs. But labor unions are faulting the government for removing the subsidy, saying there are no measures to caution the effect on citizens. Labor were asking for some palliatives to put in place first. Yes, remove it. But before you remove it, you need to put the priorities first on ground. To cushion the effect of whatever you are going to do, the removal is going to cause on the masses of this country. 
The labor unions have threatened to go on strike but were stopped by a lawsuit from the government. The government says it is putting in place palliative measures to reduce hardship on citizens' soon. It has secured an $800 million loan from the World Bank which is to be disbursed through cash transfers to 10 million households for six months. It has also convened a meeting with labor unions on the 19th of this month for an implementation framework to a seven-point resolution to caution the effect of the subsidy removal on Nigerians. That was Tessa McKenday reporting. Carbon capture technologies are becoming a priority as countries and companies commit to being carbon neutral by 2050. Last month, the U.S. Department of Energy committed a quarter billion dollars to 12 carbon capture and storage projects in seven U.S. states. These technologies could pr- uh, prove crucial in efforts to reduce greenhouse gases as nations will, uh, or still rely heavily on hydrocarbons for energy. Tony Waterman has more. It's not just beer Clinton Mac is brewing up at Austin Beer Works. This is one of the few breweries in the U.S. capturing the carbon dioxide naturally produced during fermentation. Upwards of 10 pounds of the heat-trapping gas can be collected in an hour. Gas that would normally be vented into the atmosphere. Smells like beer. Yep. (laughs) Smells like yeast. Once collected, it's sold, but the long-term goal is to reuse it to give their beer its iconic fizz. It's a resource that up until now, like, we weren't taking advantage of. It's just being wasted. The more people that do this, not only does it make sense fiscally because you're saving money by creating and capturing your own resource, but then it helps to get us out of the oil industry as much as possible. We can just see the process of where it goes. This machine from Earthly Labs does most of the heavy lifting. The company, started in 2016, now has more than 100 clients around the world. Founder Amy George says the carbon capture, utilization and storage economy, or CCUS, has exploded in recent years, spurring new innovations and entrance to the market. An example might be a biogas company that is taking a waste product from a dairy manufacturer and then converting that to energy. With new regulations and technology, we can help them capture it, harness it, and then sell it as a byproduct in the CO2 market. And that market is primed to expand exponentially in coming years as countries and companies aim for carbon neutrality by mid-century. According to the consultancy firm Woods McKenzie, global CCUS uptake needs to expand 120 times if countries are to meet their current net zero commitments, requiring $150 billion in annual investment over the next decade. The Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S. is trying to accelerate adoption, offering tax credits of up to $85 a ton for carbon captured at the source and up to $180 for carbon pulled directly from the air and sequestered. Professor Gary Rochelle has been researching and building carbon capture technology for more than 20 years. He says the incentives are crucial to persuade heavy polluting industries to adapt, but they may not be enough. $85 a ton is maybe enough for a few plants, but it won't be enough for major applications. And incentives can be, hey, we'll pay you to do it. Incentives can be hey, you got to do it. There's no silver bullet technology for addressing global warming. Experts say producing fewer emissions should be the ultimate goal, 
But for now, capturing carbon at both the large and small scale could help offset industries that may never on their own be carbon neutral. Now, as Tony Waterman reporting, you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Coming up in sports, the NBA has a new first-time champion. Sideline Story brings you all things sports-related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. 47 past the hour now. Turning to sports, and here is Yang Guang. Thank you, Shane. And we start with basketball. Nikola Jokic guided Denver Nuggets to their first NBA title in team history as the team overcame dreadful shooting to squeeze past the Miami Heat for a frantic 94-89 victory in Game 5 of the Finals. Jokic had 28 points and 16 rebounds for the Nuggets and earned Finals MVP trophy. He expressed his thanks to his teammates after the game. Yeah, we are not winning for ourselves. We are winning for the, for the, the guy next to us, and that's why this is more is even more because uh, I was winning for Jamal. Jamal was winning for Adrian. That's how it goes, you know. And uh, this is a great group of people, a great group of teammates. Uh, like I said, in, uh, from the from the family Kroenke to the Sparky and Gene, everything every, everything this uh, this year was amazing. Denver missed 20 of its first 22 three-point attempts and 7 of its first 13 free throws, but they still figured out how to close out the series and home courts. Jimmy Butler finished with 21 points for the Heat. Denver is the home of the Larry O'Brien Trophy for the first time in the franchise's 47 years in the league. In football, French star Kylian Mbappé has reportedly handed in a formal rejection of a contract extension with Paris Saint-Germain, triggering fears at the club of the striker being sold this summer. Mbappé's contract expires in June next year when he will be able to leave Paris on a free transfer, which means it's likely that PSG will look to cash in this summer. The club has just seen Lionel Messi depart for Inter Miami, and reports suggested that PSG management took the news of Mbappe's rejection badly. Real Madrid defender Nacho Fernandez has confirmed that he will sign a new one-year contract with the club. The 33-year-old has spent his entire career with Real Madrid since joining as an 11-year-old and has made 319 appearances for the first team since his deep debut in 2013. He is currently with the Spain national team squad to prepare for Thursday's UEFA Nations League semi-final against Italy. And in golf, Cameron Smith says he is at peace with his decision to join Live Golf. Smith, who won the Open Championship last year then accepted a huge sum to join Live, said he believes he made the correct choice to join the rival tour, merger or not. I think I've made the right decision anyway. Um, I'm very happy with where I'm at. Um, I obviously made that decision for a few different reasons, but um, yeah, it's it's too early to say, I think, um, with what's going to go on here. Like I said, I, I know as much as everyone else, and um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how the next kind of few months, uh, maybe even year, kind of plays out. The Australian was speaking ahead of the US Open that starts on Thursday and days after the Saudi-backed tour and the PGA Tour announced their surprise merger. 
Reports say that former Glasgow Rangers and Aston Villa manager Stephen Gerrard is set to be appointed as the new manager of Saudi Arabian club Al Ettifaq. Gerrard was sacked by Villa last October and has been out of the game since then. Reports claim that a former England and Liverpool midfielder was in Saudi Arabia on Monday. Gerard could become the latest big name to head to Saudi Arabia, following the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo, Karim Benzema, and Angolo Kanté. And ATP Libama Open in the Netherlands. Former world number three Milos Raonic of Canada marked his return to action after a near two-year absence. With a straight sets of victory over Serbian fifth seed Miloš Kecmanović in the first round, Raonic had been out of the game with his Achilles tendon and toe injuries. Back in 2020, Raonic reached the quarterfinals at the Australian Open and the semifinals at the French Open. The eight-time ATP Tour champion will next face Jordan Thompson or qualifier Giovanni Pericard. In baseball, Shohei Otani hit two home runs, including a go-ahead shot in the 12th inning, as the Los Angeles Angels rallied for a victory against the Texas Rangers. The Rangers, who led 5-1 early in the game, got one run in the bottom of the 12th inning, but fell short. Andrews relief pitcher Sam Bachman earned his first major league victory with two scoreless innings. Leo Di Taveras had three hits for Texas, while Marcus Semien finished 0 for 7. In other action, Mitch Haniger drove in two rounds as the San Francisco Giants beat the St. Louis Cardinals 4-3 for a fifth win in seven games. And the host Detroit Tigers snapped a nine-game losing streak with a 6-5 win over the Atlanta Braves. Thank you very much. That was Yang Guang with sports. Coming up in culture, the Shanghai International Film Festival's star-studded opening ceremony. The Beijing Hour. Hello, I'm Peter Dinklage from X Men: Days of Future Past. You are listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, I'm Kathy Freeman, and you're listening to the Beijing Hour. Hi, everyone. I'm Lang Lang. Welcome to the Beijing Hour. The Beijing Hour, your window to China and the world. Fifty-three minutes past the hour in culture and entertainment, the 25th Shanghai International Film Festival kicked off with a star-studded opening ceremony, impressing audiences with A-list celebrities from across the globe. Chen Yilin has more on the films, performances, and other highlights at this blockbuster event. A huge celebration for filmmakers and movie lovers. After being cancelled last year due to COVID-19, the Shanghai International Film Festival is finally back in person. This year marked the 30th anniversary since the Shanghai International Film Festival was established in 1993. Filmmakers from across the world are flying in to celebrate its prestigious gathering. The opening gala night began with special guests to honor the three-decade film festival. Film festivals are platforms for people like us. To share, to embrace, and for audiences to appreciate and love. Shanghai There were over 8,000 entries from 128 countries and regions, with 53 works nominated, and nearly 70% of them making their global premieres during the festival. The jewelry for the main competition section is headed by Polish filmmaker Jerzy Skolimowski. We are here to celebrate the film. 
and art form, which, like none other, has the power to transform us, make us reflect, dream, and sometimes strive to be better. Along with filmmakers, the festival is a celebration for all movie lovers. More than 400 films from home and abroad will be screened across Shanghai. This year also marks the fifth anniversary of the Belt and Road Film Festival Alliance, initiated by the Shanghai International Film Festival. The aim is to promote films as a symbol and example of exchange and cooperation. Aside from screenings, the 10-day event is filled with other activities, include workshops, master classes, and forums. That was Chen Yilin reporting from Shanghai. This year marks the fifth anniversary of the Belt and Road Film Festival Alliance. The alliance brings together 55 institutions from 48 countries, forming a global cinematic community. And Chen Yilin spoke with Cairo International Film Festival director Amir Ramses about this alliance. How do you assess the progress of the alliance? From our side, I think it has been really beneficial. I think the fact that also the, the alliance could continue even during the COVID year when most festivals went virtual. During this time where you couldn't really travel to festivals and see films, I think uh, the progress the alliance presented to film festival scenes was kind of important. SIFF have been helping Cairo a lot in that in the last few years. And Cairo has been trying to bring Middle Eastern films to uh, the Belt and Road uh, Initiative, uh, to SIFF. I care most about appreciate cinema from all around the world, not just big American films or even European established filmmakers, but to be able to discover new talents, even from Europe, from Asia, from Latin America, and to present it to a region that doesn't have uh, a theatrical release for these films. We know in 2021, your film Curfew has participated in the Shanghai International Film Bar Festival and it was screened during the Belt and Road Film Week. So how do you feel about being part of these events? It's great to have that exposure, to have that contact and even to see how uh, the feedback, to see how your film influenced different uh, societies, to see the impact it would have in China, to, in different cities, in different communities. That's what festivals is about. Also, it's about, okay. Uh, there's an economic and cultural aspect, but there's also a part where we as filmmakers develop from seeing how our films uh, resonate with different audience. Now is Chen Ilin speaking with Amir Ramses, the director of the Cairo International Film Festival. Well, China's box office revenue for the past two weeks has surpassed a billion yuan, or over 130 million U.S. dollars, reaching the milestone in record time since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. Official data shows the total summer box office earnings amounted to over a billion yuan as of Tuesday morning. Transformers Rise of the Beast and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse continue to hold the top two spots on China's summer box office chart. A number of major Chinese titles are set to land on the big screen later this month, including crime thriller Lost in the Stars and romantic drama Love Never Ends. We're at 58 minutes past the hour. Beijing's at 20 degrees overnight, sunny and 35 on Wednesday. Chongqing's dipping to 23. Tomorrow is cloudy and 30. Last is at 11 overnight, then showers and 23. Hong Kong's at 28 tonight, thunder showers and 31 tomorrow. Elsewhere, Tokyo's 20 this evening, then a light rain and 24. Islamabad's down to 21 degrees, then cloudy turning to a light rain and 39. Bangkok's at 26 tonight, light rain and 33 on Wednesday. In 
Africa. Nairobi's got a light rain and 26 degrees. And finally to Oceania, Sydney's at 10 this evening, then sunshine and 17. Auckland's down to 5 overnight, then sunny, turning to a light rain and 14. Port Vila has a light rain and 26 degrees Celsius. That's it for this edition of the Beijing Hour. Making news today, China and Honduras have issued a joint statement after talks in Beijing between the presidents of the two countries. And former uh, U.S. President Donald Trump's in Miami to face federal charges against him. On behalf of the staff, Shane Bigham in the Chinese capital, hoping you'll join us for the next edition of the Beijing Hour and open a window to the world together. <laughs>